Hello, everyone. Exciting podcast today. We have some people from Juvie Productions, which is the production company that um, Viola Davis and Julius Tinnen started. So if you don't know who Viola Davis is, she is a very popular and talented actress um, from The Help, from How to Get Away with Murder. How to Get Away with Murder has just oh my gosh, blown up. Everyone loves it. It's such a great TV show. Um, and her husband, Julius, is also an actor and a producer. And so they are the head of Juvie Productions, um, which is an artist-driven LA-based production company that develops and produces independent film, television, theater, VR, and digital content across all spaces of narrative entertainment. And the two people we are chatting with today is Josh, who is the head of immersive and interactive media at Juvie. And and also Rob, who is the Senior VP of Theatrical Motion Pictures Development and Production um, here at Juvie Productions. So great convo, great, great convo about, um, you know, mainstream entertainment here in LA. And I think it'll serve a lot of value to you listeners out there trying to live your best creative life. Um, And it's just a great behind the scenes of a world that I think we're all very curious about. And these two guys are epic. They were so generous with their time and their advice. So I hope you, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to That Creative Life. Hi, my name is Sarah Dietschy and I am your host. I talk with artists, YouTubers, CEOs, and everyone in between. I hope this podcast helps you live your best creative life. Enjoy. Thank you so much for being on That Creative Life, guys. It's so exciting to have you. Thank you for having Um, us. And so Josh and Rob, I want to get into your life. But let's start out with Juvie Productions. Tell me a little bit of background, um, the stories you guys tell. And then obviously, I love this this picture, this work of art we have behind us of Viola Davis. So obviously, you know, Viola Davis, Julius Tenen Mm -hmm. um, are at the helm of Mm -hmm. Juvie. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, give us give us a little background. What are the stories you guys tell? Mm -hmm. Should we (laughs) start? Well, it's the mission is to be a voice for the voiceless and to tell stories with authentic characters that we don't typically get to see uh, represented or, or portrayed. Um, it started initially as as an opportunity for Viola to find and cultivate and produce those roles that she was capable of, but frankly aren't um, available enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and since her success, the company has been um, the mission has been to uh, to pay that forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely love that. And what are some of the current projects that you have out? I, I want to let the people know. What do you guys have brewing? Um, but is there stuff out there right now that they can they can watch? They can uh, you know see what you're all about. Uh, well, that's actually the interesting thing about Juvie is uh, Viola's provided a platform for us to build out the content. So the last uh, few years, uh, we've been focused on that. Um, and we've been successful in establishing a slate of content that is right on brand. And so the next uh, few years is going to be execution of that. Love it. And, uh, and so... And what different mediums? Because you, you're everywhere, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, so in, we have television, which is uh, through an AB, deal with ABC. Uh, and um, through the television deal, we did uh, a few projects there. Uh, one called Two Sides, 
which uh, which is uh, still running. Uh, no, uh, Last Defense would still be on ABC. Uh, you'll probably find it on abc.com. Awesome. Um, and Last Defense, that was a TV One project. Um, and I'm sure you can identify, locate that through their website. Um, on the film side, we have a we in December we just closed a deal with Amazon Studios. Congrats! Yeah, thank you. Amazing. Thank you very much. And uh, we're really excited about that because they uh, they work in so many different mediums, and it's uh, and their 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 structure parallels our objective in the content that we've been developing and uh, preparing for distribution. Love it. Um, so obviously we'll get more into Juvie, but let's start with Rob. Ooh. So I, I, I did my research. Okay. Mm. So Rob, you've worked at studios like Paramount, DreamWorks, Disney, ABC to develop work. Um, but you've also had many roles from like a screenplay editor to a production supervisor and then, um, you know, an mm-hmm. executive. So mm-hmm. I want to kind of like take me back to the first five, 10 years of your career and mm. what what were you doing then and and what was that like you know i'm sure uh, out here in la it's a journey to become to to get to that certain level where you're the honcho making the decisions <laughs> but bring me back to the beginning what what were you doing what were some of the projects you were working on oh well um at the risk of aging myself <laughs> uh i came into the business from the banking industry I was, uh, yeah, I was operations manager at City National Bank here. And uh, what was interesting about my trajectory is I never intended, one, to ever live in California. Hmm. And uh, and two, uh, I guess it was always there, the idea of entertainment, because I took some film classes in college. But uh, it was coming from the south, from Louisiana, it's never a thing that is a real job. Mm -hmm. And so I was focused on being in the finance industry. So my goal was to move to New York. And that's all I was thinking about. I was focused on New York. And I've always been a little bit of a high achiever. So I finished high school at 16. And I'm, I'm, forgive me, I finished finished high school, went to college at 16. Wow. Uh, Oh my gosh. I can't imagine that. Right? And uh, and so, you know, always been on the sort of an advanced track, right? Um, Through a series of events, I ended up coming to California and fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moved here not knowing nearly anyone. Uh, And through a series of events, I ran into uh, Eddie Murphy and his team, who I uh, had known. and uh, after you know getting familiar with the idea that he had a deal at Paramount, uh, um, I asked, "Okay, will you hire me? Because uh, I I like what you guys are doing." At first, I was resistant because I was so used Were to you just still working at a bank during mm-hmm. this time. I'm still working right. at a bank. Not only was I working at the bank, I had three jobs. I was, work- <laughs> I was working at the People bank. People talk about hustling. Yeah, I mean I that hustling. is like having some side hustle. What were your other three jobs? This is really going to date me. I had a job at a fax manufacturing company. <laughs> wow. What is a fax? <laughs> so I had a job at a fax manufacturing company that I went to from like 8 to 5. From 6 to 9, I went to, uh, I had a job at the Beverly Center. And then from 10 to 4, I had a job at the bank. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
And you know, it was just instilled to me from forever, right? Because my parents did it, right? It was it was all about working, and being here uh, on my own, I had to make a way. So I just had to work to make money and survive because it was a, sort of a culture shock to go from the South, where um, you know everything is cheaper, mm-hmm. to here mm-hmm. where you know it's multiples. So that is what drove, uh, you know, all the the work at that point. But then I made the transition into being a production assistant for Eddie Murphy. Uh, So going from where I was to making $7.50 an hour Mm. was a shock to everything that I had known. Right. But... You know, I was inspired by what they were doing, and so I took the job. And at the time, he his office were on the Paramount lot. Um, but you know, being the guy that I am, I've always dove into learning and figuring things out. Right? Uh, I was a little bit resistant to be a production assistant at that point because I thought I was, you know, more advanced than that. Yeah. Uh, but they convinced me, okay, you don't know much about the business, so take this now, and you know, uh, we'll take care of you later. Um, they then uh, end up developing a, a TV show with uh, with Red Fox and Lorenz Tate. Back uh, uh, this was this must have been 1989, maybe. <laughs> nice. When were you born? Because you look young. I I was born after that. <laughs> thank you, Josh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, thank Rob. You, I'm sorry, you, Rob. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so I did that right, um, and ended up learning a lot because I transitioned from being a production assistant for his company to being a production assistant on the TV show. Mm. So you're in the middle of the action. I'm in the middle of the action. Mm. So now we're doing this TV show for Paramount, and uh, and you know I had a little bit of a cachet because I was connected to him during that time, uh, but still had that same work ethic. Mm-hmm. And uh, came to the attention of the line producer at the time. Uh, and he asked, hey, after this, I have another job if you want to come work with me. And I was like, sure, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, what I realized is that with my ambition, I had to find opportunities uh, for myself. And he was offering sure. one. So uh, I took that job. And unbeknownst to me, it ended up being for the Roseanne show. <laughs> wow, that's amazing! Right, uh, uh, wow, but with that the, stuff lately, right? <laughs> a lot. The, the great thing about that experience is it was with Carsey Warner, okay. who was at the time one of the sort of premier independent TV production companies. Mm-hmm. They were doing a different world, The Cosby Show, wow. Roseanne, um, uh, and a number of shows after that. But acting as an independent, they had their own sort of business affairs, legal mm-hmm. production departments, and mm-hmm. uh, they were very generous about sharing their time about who does what. And so I took advantage of that, sitting down with some of the executives periodically to say, okay, how does this work? How does that work? Uh, and I learned a tremendous amount. Um, at the same time, Eddie Murphy had another TV show that he was green lighting that I was very familiar with being developed while I was there. And they offered me to come back and work on that. And I took that job. And, uh, and that job actually led to me working for Paramount proper. Hmm. 
So with that one, were you still a production assistant? I was still a production assistant. Wow. Yeah, I was still a production assistant. But this was the interesting transition in that uh, now I'm feeling like I'm a little bit more than a production assistant because I've been a production assistant for, it it had been a couple of years. Mm. Uh, And I was actually looking to advance into a next role, which was actually, in my idea, was as a writer because Mm. I had been, you know, training myself to write. Um, and that didn't come through. Hmm. But because I was now familiar with the studio, they offered me a job which was transitioning this production department from uh, uh, almost non-existent into uh, a full-on production department. Um, I took that job instead of the writer thing, right? Um, Ten years later, (laughs) I'm a you know, production exec at Paramount uh, uh, working as sort of a liaison between the studio and all the network TV shows. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. And what I get out of that is a lot of people's ego will probably get in the way of accepting that production assistant job. And so for you to even be like, oh, I know Eddie Murphy. I need something fancier than a production assistant job. But it ultimately led to where you are now, um, which I think is so powerful. And what I've learned in this industry is you just got to get in the room. You just got to get in the room and uh, and be do get getting the room, do the work Mm -hmm. and be mindful of the relationships because uh, they the relationships weren't something I was seeking. Mm -hmm. It was information. Right. And it was having the information that that justified me being there. Right. Um, because you know, one thing, one of the things I always say to people is, um, when we meet and when we come into um, interaction, you may not know me, like me, re- connect with me, but does the information make sense? Hmm. So, am I offering information, answers, solutions to a, a situation that is supportive? Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then evaluate that for what it is, Definitely. right? And then. Within that, you can you can determine my value, yeah. right? Not based upon what I look like or where I come from mm-hmm. or uh, or any sort of. Uh, and this is one of the things that sort of drives UV, right? It's not about the social constructs. It's about uh, seeing people as individuals <laughs> and how uh, uh, an equation can come together for the good. That's powerful. So, Josh, what was your Eddie Murphy moment? Oh, man. I don't know if I can keep eating with that. Um, so you went to school, though, right? You did the mm-hmm. whole college thing. That's right. Um, and did you go to school in Seattle? I actually went to um, to a school called Biola in Southern California and studied film. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Um, when I was looking you up, um, you had a lot of stuff that was not only just what you're doing now, but you were writing and you were mm-hmm. acting, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And so my biggest question is, where did the time for like the technology come in? Was that something Ooh, that you were question. always interested in? Or yeah. how did that integrate into your life and to your art? Yeah, that's a good question. I've always been so fascinated with technology. Um, my parents say like, my dad used to have like a, um, like a, a cop radar scanner in the car and it would they would turn it on it would like buzz up and I would like freak out as a kid just delight um, and I've always I've always loved technology especially as it intertwines with storytelling or uh, the connectedness of that art is able to do to let someone know that they're they're not alone in their experience that that there's 
yeah, that they're that they're not alone. Um, whether it's music or film, I love learning about animation techniques that were developed by Disney or any of these advancements and how they're integrated, how the technology inspires the storytelling and vice versa. How many Pixar documentaries have you watched? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> Not enough. Um, but I, yeah, I have. I've seen some. Um, I, I So I grew up in, in the Seattle area, um, Egyptian-American uh, in fourth grade, I built my first computer, and it was... I didn't know that. Well, there was a class. I mean, it wasn't like, you know... The whole, in fourth grade, you had, a, like, a right. computer-building class? It was... Know, yeah, right. It's actually not... It so was what like elementary Legos. school did you yeah. go to? And I had this vision of his parents going, Josh, what are you doing in there? Building a computer? <laughs> yeah. Leave me alone. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, always, always been fascinated with... Um, with technology and with story and with character. And I remember in middle school falling in love with, um, they were called QuickTime VRs, which were these still photos that people were stitching together with programs like Huggin. And it was basically really early VR mm-hmm. 360 photos before there was even headsets wow. to look at them on. And I remember I remember at that time thinking like, how cool to be to have that, that was video so if you could like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was one I used to I I used to look at it all the time. It was uh, these beautiful panoramic scans of Angkor Wat, hmm. um, these beautiful temples and in uh, these photos all over all over Asia. Um, but there was something really cool about being able to be immersed in these worlds before, you know, um, even before you could put yourself in them with a headset. Um, but I I fell in love with film. Uh, really early on as well, would always be making videos and and getting friends together. To I had three sisters, so I'd like they were constant, you know, um, crew and cast to direct yeah, and things. Yeah. And um, I got my first, uh, I guess, my first industry job uh, in Seattle. There was a studio, a production company called Costa Productions, and I was. Uh, just the studio intern. Uh, I shouldn't say just because you, you know. probably did more than getting coffee. Yeah. I mean, well, they put you to work, right? right? I cleaned a lot of toilets. Yeah. <laughs> did you really clean toilets? Oh, oh my goodness! My home. Yeah. As an in, that's like what people. What? Oh yeah, interns I've cleaned clean a lot. toilets. Oh my goodness! I've cleaned. I I won't even say I've cleaned for the for. Does he clean toilets here sometimes? Do you make homework? No. <laughs> yeah. It's, but yeah, I, I cleaned chicken coops. I've, but into, yeah. Wow. Chicken coops. Yeah. Okay. I, I've got stories. Wow. Um, but I moved on to get to, I got to PA. Um, eventually when I came down here, I got to PA on a lot of commercials and ended up getting to, to work on uh, features as a production assistant to clean more trailer toilets and um, there's a lot of toilet cleaning. There's a lot through, of toilet cleaning. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think the idea behind that is that you do what you have to do to get, yeah. you know, to make the environment mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, you, and so we, we uh, did a panel guys at Sundance mm-hmm. and it was really, really cool to chat with you guys mm-hmm. there. But with everything you said, I was like, I need. I want to talk to them more about that. So I'm really mm. glad we, we're getting this chance. But good, good. Um, at the panel, you actually mentioned. So a girl came up and um, asked you about 
she does more of the internet thing and mm-hmm. she was like how do i get plugged in you know mm-hmm. how do i get in this like mainstream industry mm-hmm. and you had a very interesting answer and in that you said i mean i wasn't even aware of this that the studios have training programs mm-hmm. can you I- expand on that and like what does that look like does everyone have them how do you get involved okay uh yeah not everyone has them but they are quite popular like juvie has an internship program and uh, oftentimes we find those through the universities but we also you know are open to talking to people to determine okay uh, is there some value what we do can add to your objective Uh, and uh, based on that right uh, uh, based on your objective is there some value that you can add to what we do right so can we learn from each other Uh, and so outside of the university system we'll sort of look at maybe working with interns in that way Um, but the studios uh, I, I don't know if Amazon has one but that would be something to research and most of the time it's just a matter of identifying who the studios are and then going onto their website and seeing if they have um, so uh, some of them have internship programs some of them have specific programs for writers directors or, uh, or talent that wants to to jump in um, I don't know that any of them operate in the actor space but behind the scenes, most of them have a, a program, internship program, or um, uh, not. I think it's it's a little bit more than just an internship program that some of them offer, because that's separate from the training programs that they have in terms of writers, directors. Uh, uh, some of them have editing programs. Um, and so it would really just be a matter of going onto Warner Brothers, uh, Universal, mm-hmm. uh, Disney, all those websites uh, to see what they offer. Very cool. Yeah. So how did you get plugged into, because you graduated from school, right? And yeah. so was it just those internships, those side jobs that kind of got you your start? And then what I'm always, um, I, I love the discussion of college, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to art, the arts. Yeah. And what value do you get out of it for the amount of money you pay? Mm-hmm. Um, were there, you know, was it mainly the relationships that you got out of the experience? Was it mainly the teachers? Um, Cause just for some background. So I went to college for three and a half years for mm. um, electrical engineering, computer science. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm a YouTuber. Yeah. Um, but so I had a, a lot of uh, college while I was trying to figure out what I wanted yeah. to do. And very later on, I figured out it was not electrical engineering. <laughs> um, but I dropped out mm-hmm. and you know pursued the video thing. And I, I just see a lot of people who are spending a lot of money mm-hmm. yeah. on something that maybe isn't delivering mm. the amount of value that they think it is. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear about your college experience and yeah. what, you know, was it amazing? Was it okay? Mm-hmm. Was it worth it? You know, did you yeah. learn a lot? Yeah, and I, I think it's really important to evaluate what your own expectations are of college. I, I don't think, especially in this industry, for even people who are, are that we're looking to partner with, I'm not I'm not looking at pedigree or where you graduated from. I'm looking at your work. I'm looking at your reel. I'm looking at what you've produced. Mm-hmm. And from that perspective, I think it's easy to get tied up in. Um, there is something to be said for 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 name and recognition, right? As as kind of vetting systems. Mm-hmm. So. There's, 
I think there is something to be said if, if someone's gone to um, a USC or NYU. Um, however, I think at the end of the day, I'm looking at the work. Mm-hmm. And if you go into college with that expect, if you if you're going into film school with that understanding, um, I think it's certainly the relationships are are crucial. You're, but I think you get you get out of it whatever you put in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So from some people's perspectives, I might have been a bad student because I was so focused on getting you know <laughs> yeah. getting to things the off stage. the ground. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Um, and but. Yeah. I have to say my experience was incredible because I I had an incredible community that that I got to to be a part of um, and the administration would fight for me when I would push for things so we were the first I I got to be a part of the first student initiated feature film um, cool. but we weren't just it wasn't just kind of like a run and gun thing we went out it was, and I was forced to get the um, the experience of putting together a business plan. We set up an LLC. We offered securities. We went and got mm. investors, and um, and working with LA rental houses, getting talent and crew from from LA, and all of that process is just being. I, I kind of got freaked out during my time. I realized that I was in short film school and not in mm. film school. <laughs> and after after working on a feature film, like a real feature film, and you yeah. see all these systems that you learn in production management. Um, in place and you see that it's attainable people do this this is this is a there's there are systems in place that mm-hmm. um, and you without being exposed to that machine I think it's really hard to wrap your head around you know these different protocols are there for a reason mm-hmm. um, and I think it's finding a balance of like being nimble and intuitive and, and an entrepreneur at the same time understanding that there's a reason um, there's a day out of days and there's a reason for call sheets there's a reason mm-hmm. for um, for for break script breakdowns and you don't need film school to learn all of those things and in fact I think a lot of people would argue that you don't really get to learn those things until you're just thrown into the, into right. the midst of it right. but where film school can be an advantage it's a safe place to fail really well hmm. um, so you have to put you have to put your whole self into it. You can't yeah. half-ass film school or I, yeah. it won't be worth it pretty much. But it's also, it depends on what you're wanting to do. It's mm-hmm. an opportunity to learn if you're, if you're, I think depending on what you're trying to do, I think everyone comes in expecting, I want to be a director, I want to be an auteur. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might learn that actually auteur? I'm Wait, what's an that? auteur. Oh, uh, oh is that like a fancy <laughs> for a artist? Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, I think we're learning uh, so <laughs> much, guys. Well, I think, uh, I think it's author, like in French. I mean, it come, mm, I think, author, yes. Yeah, I think of it course. comes from like, you know, the French New Wave cinema, yeah. this idea that, um, that the frame is your pen as an author. Mm. And so you're, oh, you know. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm inspired. Yeah. Yeah, they they probably come in and I'm gonna be the next David Fincher, you know, and that's right. that's the idea. Um so with the immersive stuff and the interactive stuff, was that yeah. something that you were completely doing on the side or did you learn that in school? No, that really didn't exist while I was in school. I know because I was about to say I'm like, I don't think you're sitting there learning about VR and no. um, so all of that was on your own? Yeah, and I think I think that's that's the posture of life. I think anyone in the in production needs to needs to adopt is the adaptability. So you should be able to jump in and any like learn the systems, understand what walkie protocol is if you're on set as a set PA, or learn what the the filing systems are if you're you know in an office PA and coding. And I think it's that's that's the thing is being able to um, to be a self starter. Um, I had a friend, I worked on a feature with a friend who, um, she was an assistant, I was 
assisting an, another producer. She was assisting the other producer, and she ended up getting into VR. Um, and I heard through the grapevine about the, some of the things she was doing, and I saw some stuff at Sundance. I was like, I need to get into this. This is so cool. And and reminiscent of the um, the immersive 360 photos of Angkor Wat that I'd seen. Um, and eventually, I, I had asked I. And another really cool thing about like the set life, there's I think there's so many different ways to enter into this into this industry. I didn't even know about I didn't even it didn't even occur to me that there might be an opportunity to rise through like agencies, for instance. Um, UTA has like the UTA job list. There's different job postings. There's Facebook groups. Um, and I what where I had found success is like when I would try to make things or try to do things just like researching as much as I could out of it and then asking just asking anyone who would be willing for even just like can I have a five minute phone call with you I remember I for a while I was convinced I wanted to be a DP so I was shooting you know a lot of shorts and I'm researching cameras and I'm and I would just reach out to gaffers to DPs of anything that I thought was good and just say hey I'm working on the short can you give me five minutes I want to ask you how you compose this one shot or what lights you or just like you know that that deep dive and I was so surprised how many people would that's give cool. their time. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And so how long was the period of you being VR? That's cool. I want to learn more. I mean, obviously you've always been interested in it, but how long did it take you to really soak it all in, put it into practice? And now you have a job, you yeah. know, uh, I'm still it. learning it. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. everyone is still learning it. There's <laughs> yeah, no, every, no one really, true. yeah, has. Yeah. But that's the exciting part. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It's evolved so much. Mm-hmm. Every, even since I started, um, it's it's evolved. It looks, the landscape is completely different. Um, the players, the kind of content that's being made, the tools, um, like all of that. People are watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, an interesting thing that I've experienced just as a content creator um, mm-hmm. and how people are using 360 now. It So my highest viewed video on YouTube is actually um, a 360 video of me skydiving. Oh wow. No way. So when Samsung put out their 360 camera, they got, you know, like 10 creators to go and make like crazy videos and we premiered it at VidCon. Um, and when they released the, oh, what was the first version of the Samsung goggles? I forgot what they're called. The Gear VR? Yeah, just the Gear VR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the first mainstream, uh, you know, everyone was getting it for Christmas. And yeah. I remember there was a 2 million view spike. Wow. On the 25th and 26th of December, <sighs> like two, wow, two or three wow. years ago. Oh my goodness. Where everyone was getting a Gear <laughs> VR for Christmas. Yeah, and my yeah. video was one of the first that was loaded up wow, in like the Samsung awesome. store. Um, but it's very interesting to see that. I thought, oh, this is the future, right? This is so cool. Right, 360 right. cameras. Yeah. Um, but there's still that aspect of, I don't want to say gimmicky, but people still don't know how to interact with it. Right. And now it's interesting to see 360 cameras capturing everything Mm. and then you as the editor get to decide what to put in and manipulating it from that like with the insta 360 and like Mm. all those cameras um and so can you i am so interested in this well we'll get to you in a second (laughs) but um can you kind of explain the technology shift um from from your perspective because it's one thing for me as a solo creator right to see the tools change right. and how people watch on YouTube. But yeah. I think it's a completely different story when you're talking about the big screen or you're talking about just these different mediums that you guys are exploring. Yeah. Um, can you briefly chat about that? <laughs> <laughs> this might be a two hour conversation, yeah. but I, I'm no, so yeah. interested in, in the medium, you know? Yeah. 
Um, well, the, so the shift for me happened while I was, I was working on a film. And at that time, I, I, um, I had an incredible mentor named Sam Hausman, who's, who's worked on fantastic films. And I'd worked on several features with her at this point. Um, and um, a common AD that we worked on a film together brought me on this other film to help out with. And I met this actor named um, uh, Beth Grant, who was talking about this project that she was working on. And she was looking for a producer, uh, her daughter, Mary Chifo, who plays Laurel on... Um, on um, Star Trek Discovery and Total Badass uh, brought me over and I just presented like some of the materials that I've put together for other things that I've produced and and presented the budgets and the business plans and the proposals, all that stuff. And we talked about it and it, they were describing something that needed to be VR. And this is the first time that someone is like, we're, you know, pitching a project, we're talking about it. I'm like, this is, this has to be, this should be VR. But I've, I was nervous even to suggest it because I thought it might even be offensive to be like, you know. Stop what you're doing. Yeah. 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 Right. VR. Because even then it's kind of feels like stigmatized or there's like this part of like, it's a kind of a less than thing or it's like, you know, mm-hmm. they were originally thinking of a web series and I always like hesitated to offend them by mm-hmm. saying, Cause I don't, you know, I, um, but I was waiting for my Uber and I remember my Uber was, um, it was, it kept like missing the street or whatever. And it was late. And so after like waiting for five minutes, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I'll ever see these people again. I just said, have you thought about VR? And then they're like, no, and it, that snowballed into this entire crazy adventure. And so I'd done a little bit of research at that point, but at that point I was like, okay, well now if I'm going to be producing VR, I need to know everything about it. I need to know all the players, and I went out. So like, from that point, were they like, "Yep, it's your, it's your project, like go for it"? Well, or? No, so I mean, it was a collaboration, right? right? So it's, I mean, it was really me servicing their vision, and we're packaging and putting the elements together. And they actually had it; they had it as a web series here at Juvie, and oh, cool. and. So they presented the idea to Julius as, what if this is, you know, what if we did VR? And then it turns out that there was already an appetite and like Viola's mm-hmm. using VR in her trailer to, you know, and to um, as like a, a therapeutic escape. And so they're like into it, which mm-hmm. is awesome. That's cool. And f- so from that moment on, it was like, well, this is my focus now. Understood this, like just got into the space and then every project that I was working on, I was still doing lots of freelance. I'd, I had built a lot of relationships from um, people that I worked with on, on films with Netflix and different, you know, like BuzzFeed videos, all these different contexts that I had. But now when they're asking me to come on either as, you know, like to, to line produce or to coordinate or to whatever, I said, that's fine. I'm going to do that. But will you let me do, can I produce a 360 behind the scenes video at the mm-hmm. same time? Cool. And so I was building my reel that way. So everything I'm working Smart. on, I'm mm-hmm. understanding how to edit it through and I'm still getting my paycheck for, you know, showing up yeah. and, and doing production work. That's cool. And then built relations through that way because I'd meet people who are like, oh, you're using, you know, they'd see my Samsung 360. Like, right. you're doing VR? Well, I'm working on this other VR thing. We need That's somebody. That's cool. That's cool. Is that what you were using? What was At that VR time, yeah. Shooting? Yeah, it was yeah. just like Samsung 360. And then I would deliver it to the producers and be like, here's your behind the scenes. You can do whatever you want. You can That's like upfield cool. it or not. And then, you know, and then I started getting calls for that. And then. Okay started helping consulting ended up getting to work on a on a um uh, a playstation for vr video game like a psvr video game um and that that all helped inform um yeah just understanding the space going Mm -hmm. through like the oculus rift libraries the gear vr libraries the google cardboard just watching everything and reaching out to everyone i could to just sit down and figure out like okay Mm -hmm. how'd you make this and it's and, cool. Yeah. It's cool to be living in a time where there's still new things 
oh my you know, arriving and yeah, it's, it's just day. the beginning. And I think for people who want to get into this and, you know, oh, you have to be unique, right? I think there's so many opportunities for these new spaces to be unique because there's not as yeah. many people in them, right? That's right, yeah. So, and that's a part of the. That's one of the really cool things about this company is we're we're looking to, um, we're simultaneously. Um, I mean, we're we're telling stories, and we're also looking for opportunities to um, to empower emerging talent mm-hmm. and powerful storytellers who haven't been given those opportunities right. to to tell their stories. Right. And when you have in in new media, there's a lot of these opportunities, right? Because if it's mm-hmm. just good and it, it stands out, right? A bigger fish in a smaller pond, so to speak. And that's a part of our strategy of of looking at. We've got these huge big studio IPs that we're developing. Then we also have these original projects. Right. Um, and and they go hand in hand but yeah it was beautiful as a as a team as a department we're learning the space together with beth with mary with kaylin with julius myself we're going taking all these meetings um and and figuring out what it means to package and to um to put together how do you tell a story well in this space Mm -hmm. and then we one of our earliest advisors was connor doyle uh, from harvard Mm -hmm. who's doing the vr department there it's been. It was this long journey of just really figuring out the space and That's going cool. to the conventions and yeah, um, doing all the things. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. So we went from that was originally a 360 video. This project and it ended up being something that's done completely in Game Engine. Um, so you can move through it, and it, we did like volumetric capture. We captured nine people simultaneously, and it's like wow. this wall of cameras that you reconstruct these meshes How and these textures. Cameras? It was um, it was well over fifty. I can't remember the exact count, but oof. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Well, and, and that's a cool thing because you know when you're on those shoots or maybe you have a PA job and you're like, why am I here? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of opportunities to be like, hey, I'm going to make a uh, 360 behind the scenes and then you can become that 360 guy or gal, you know? Um, and going back to like your history in, in banking, Rob, <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of your past really informs, you know, the future and what you do without even thinking about it. I mean, I thought I wasted three years of my life like coding, but in mm-hmm. hindsight, it really has affected me as a human today Mm -hmm. and like my interest in tech and everything. Mm -hmm. And so how did that really inform what you're doing now or what you were doing at Paramount and the, the movie industry, it works on numbers, right? Yeah. That's a very Mm. important part of projects. Yeah. What I found really fascinating is that all those parts work collectively together because in finance, one of, this was interesting because my job in, in, at the bank was I was in charge of money availability, hmm. uh, which essentially uh, follows the process of your deposits into the bank and the bank's deposits into the Federal Reserve. And so it required an element of creativity because uh, it's determining what's going to make the most money for the bank because the bank is uh, depositing into the Federal Reserve to match interest rates because the, those change. In looking at creating content, right, you, you, it's, it's, it's a lot of numbers, right? It's one, right, a story, plus two, an actor, plus three, a director, right, plus a distributor. So you, you have to go back and look at, okay, what's the equation I need to get this out to the audiences that need to see it? And so uh, it really is a matter, once you've done that, 
you look at who cares, right? So then you go back to look at the audience. What are the numbers there? So if the audience is not there, do I spend this much to make it, right? So it then becomes, so that creative game then tracks back to the numbers game. So it all kind of works hand in hand. That's interesting. Can mm. you talk through, um, we talked a little bit about this um, on the panel, but the creative process of how you guys find projects mm-hmm. and from the moment of having an idea to working, you know, it says on your website that Juvie is an artist-driven production company, mm-hmm. which um, is cool. But what, is that, what does that mean? For We'll get to the creative process, but what, is, what does that mean, artist-driven production company with who, who you work with? Uh, at the basis of it is that uh, Viola and Julius are both artists, mm-hmm. and so the 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 attraction to uh, developing content is to people who have really creative minds. If someone walked in and said, "You know, hey, I've got something I can do for this number, and I can make this number on it, and you know, and I just need your name," it's not a GV thing. But if someone says, hey, I have an idea and I think that it can, you know, change the conversation and people will really feel inspired by hearing this story or, uh, or you know, um, um, we can, you know, distribute this in this community and make a difference, then that's something that's more attracted to as a Juvie project. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah. so once you find those stories, mm-hmm. what's the process? Because is it theater is it vr is it a tv is it film how do you categorize ideas um how do you figure out where they live mm-hmm. how do you figure out how many people are working on that project mm-hmm. um uh, it's one of uh the elements of our process is to determine where best might this project be received right so uh oftentimes what we'll do is we'll look at uh, say a, a film that comes in and we'll say, okay, is there a moment within this story that we can tell that uh, would be well served by having an immersive, an immersive experience, right? So um, if a character is going through some dramatic situation and we feel like it could create a better element of empathy for the characters then what we try to do is work with Josh to explore how that can happen and so uh, what we do in-house is just kind of look at okay is this a better film is this a better tv or should it just exist on an immersive content platform Uh, and once we determine that you know the proper department will will take over but even before that it's does the story move us? Are the mm. characters people that we relate to that we haven't typically seen before? Mm. It's, I mean, I think there's there's so much, and just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm. And it's easy to um, to take on more than than what your bandwidth allows. And I I think that's it's really helpful to have a community of artists to to bounce ideas mm. with and and to go through submissions with, or to, to and also just looking at at our slate and what's being said through this project, what's being communicated. Mm-hmm. And then like Rob's saying, finding the right audience, the right place, the right, um, because, and then there's all these subcategories. So if it's if it's a film, then at what level, what, you know, yeah. what's, what kind of budget, what kind of, you know, is it a straight I mean, to platform? Yeah, what do you guys think of the age of content right now? Because it, 
it's it seems kind of like the wild west which is cool because there's so many opportunities for different kind of creators different kinds of production companies it's not just tv film it's netflix hulu tv like all of these things right um and so is this an exciting time is it is it how would you describe the time we're living in for creators and one of the best times in the history of Hmm. content creation one of the things that i i noticed is when you mentioned that you're a content creator you you Hmm. sort of air quoted and i was curious to know why you did that Hmm. it's kind of all-encompassing um because i i'll say youtuber i'm not ashamed to Mm -hmm. be a youtuber Mm -hmm. um but at the core of it i just tell stories right and whether it's telling from behind the camera, because mm-hmm. I started doing a lot of documentary series stuff before mm-hmm. I even became an on-camera personality. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a way to like not put me so much in a box, because mm-hmm. I think when people hear YouTuber, mm. it's, oh, she like sits in front of a camera and talks mm-hmm. about drama. Like, no, <laughs> it's so much more than uh-huh. that, you know? And, um, and we firmly believe in that. It was the, putting the air quotes around it. Mm-hmm because you are a content provider and so there's no you know, <laughs> no bunny ears there's no yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no bunny ears to it and that's kind of how we approach content right yeah. we look at is this an interesting subject is this something that we haven't seen before right is this going to offer new information to the world that uh, they may not have considered before and now that we uh, agree that that is the case where is this better suited for a platform Right. And so that's part of the process is looking at it as content, right? And because there's so many different avenues for distribution, that's what makes it so much better is because, you know, we don't have to say, okay, there's no studio going to buy this. You know, there's no TV network going to air this. We can determine, is this interesting enough? And can we mount it as a TV show or a series? Because it is interesting enough. And then we determine, okay, where is it best placed? Is being in L.A., knowing the people that you know and who you work with, is that a similar in, like uh, like feeling across the industry? Because sometimes it feels like I am just very removed from mm. everything that's going on here. Mm. Um, of course, I'm on the East Coast, but also a part of this whole, you know, Internet mm. thing mm-hmm. um, that sometimes feels very separate. It mm. almost feels like me versus them or them versus me kind of feeling Mm -hmm. um throughout the years i've been able to form a lot of amazing relationships it doesn't feel as much like that Mm -hmm. um but i don't have as good of a pulse Mm -hmm. on the la industry the mainstream industry is that a similar feeling that people feel is there a little bit of romanticization is that a word i don't know if that's a word of Mm -hmm. how times used to be in hollywood what what is kind of like the pulse and what people are feeling in the industry I would offer that um, the primary pulse is that there's one degree of separation between any medium. And it's really the perspective of the person on the other side of the table. Because if people are smart, they're looking at identifying content wherever it is. Um, But, you know, there are some people who are romanticizing what it used to be and they're just in their lanes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think that that uh, has a tendency to catch up with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Do you have anything to add? Well, I I think 
I, it's interesting for me because I'm straddling some different worlds with, with my department. The VR community is a really cool one and mm-hmm. everyone is still, it's, it's like we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting for the overlap of those who are, there's a lot of VFX houses, there's a lot of people who are still kind of like, you know, in, in, in the traditional Hollywood mainstream world, but also in this other like, and you, it's, you get these, um, they kind of feel like high school reunions when you go to like the Oculus Connect conferences or you go to, you know, different <laughs> VR summits or um, VR on the lot or whatever it is. Um, what is VR on the lot? There is, uh, so this year there is at Paramount and is also at the Meta Stage. It's um, a group of, uh, it's just, it's like a, uh, a, a big industry event where you have a lot of different, you have different studios, different creators, different directors in the space talking about what they're doing in VR. That's cool. Um, I think it's, what's difficult about the platforms that are available for the VR AR space, or I guess the XR space, um, is you might have, a, you have an IP and you're trying to develop it to a particular platform and that is that each platform is very can be very different from one another. So if you're developing something for VR, that might be very different than mobile AR or very different than head-mounted AR. And so when you're packaging or pitching something and shaping it to the best experience that it can be, it, it's almost like a new project for each deck that you're developing as a pitch. And it's a, it's a new project in, in really trying to weigh what the experience is. And that's and that's even just not even, not even taking into account the... Um, uh, just the the business model for for each of these different these different streams. So you it's really you have to find people who are in it and are willing to really think this through and figure this out and you know understand is it an LBE like a location based entertainment VR experience like the Void or a Dreamscape or is this something that's more an at home VR? Is it a big enough IP to drive the sales or is it something you know like there's all these different different conversations and I think that it can be exhausting to have so many different places to go and different ways to shape things. But it's also really encouraging because if they weren't as many different places to go, then it would be a lot right. harder to, to get content. There's sold. not just one way to do it. And mm-hmm. that's exciting, but also overwhelming at the yeah. same time, um, yeah. which I think is cool though. Yeah. You have to be an entrepreneur. Well, yeah. And I would tend to offer that the entire industry is is similar, mm-hmm. right? Because in in making film or making television, there's so many different ways to enter the storytelling process that, um, yeah. And the market is so competitive now that you know you could make a TV that a, a TV a film that goes straight to a networks platform, a Netflix platform, or Amazon platform, or you can make one that goes into the theaters. And so you really have to. Uh, 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 curate it uh, for the intention, and I think that is really what makes a difference. Because you know, there's a there's a bit of a narrative that it, you know it's all digital, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily the case, right? Because people are still going to the, the theaters, mm-hmm. people are still watching television, and people are finding their content on uh, through streaming. So the different. There's space, and I may have mentioned this before, right? I think the the environment is big enough to support each medium. It's just now shared, but really depends on how the content is curated as to where it's best to have the experience. Right. 
Yeah, and it puts it on us to figure out how to innovate and to to adapt to the system. Exactly. And that's a lot. We spend a lot of time thinking about what are ways that that we can recoup because, and if we're if we're working with um, uh, in the new media space, where where are we going to get? Um, what what can we do to offset the loss of residuals or mm-hmm. or other? You know, what does that mean? So, um, well, maybe Rob, yeah. you can. Um, so. One of the ways that the market has changed in that, uh, you know, it used to be just a studio system, right? And uh, as a creative, you would go make a deal with the studio, and based upon the success of that, the upside, you would realize, you know, a residual. So the residual would be the income that you receive from the success of whatever the content is. Well, now that there's, you know, the OTT is involved and, uh, and, um, there's less of a life in the marketplace mm-hmm. to the content because it's available for free or for by subscription. Gotcha. And so the residuals are limited to the creators. And so what the creators have begun to do, like like we're doing, is look for opportunities for other income streams. When it comes to the IP, because you keep saying IP, mm-hmm. and that's something that I'm pretty foreign with the idea, but at the same time, it's creating something special that's yours, right? And seeing how long of a life can it have? You know, it's not just TV series, but as you're saying, it could be a video game. It could be X, Y, and Z. And so is that how people are looking at all of these things now in terms of like, what does that look like? If it's a TV series, what what's the next thing that you're thinking about? Are you thinking each of these projects are going to have a life of like 10 years? Or like what, I guess, what's yeah. the scope? Because I find yeah. that very interesting, like a way it's to look per at project, it. project, right? I mean, yeah. I think it's the IP has to shape that and you have to get a good sense. We're, we're an industry that's built on comps or like comparisons of pre-existing IPs. Any business plan or proposal for intellectual any properties. Of, yes, yeah. intellectual properties. Yeah. Yes. So you look at you look at when whenever someone is presenting a business case for a property for whether it's a film. Um, there's you have comparisons of like well these are how films that are similar have performed in the past they had these similar elements it, maybe it was also a sci-fi thriller maybe it also featured you know someone that's similar to our main character mm-hmm. and you know you look at the comparisons and then you say well, so we can we can estimate that we can get you know we can mm-hmm. recoup x amount and you know generate exactly. this amount of revenue yeah and um so let's take it down to sort of a basic intellectual property, right? So, um, for instance, you write a book, right? That book is your intellectual property. But then I decide I want to make a movie about it, right? Well, before I make that movie, I need a script. That script then becomes your intellectual property, but it's a subsidiary of the book. Well, then when I make the movie, that's a completely different property, intellectual property, from the script. So now there's three intellectual properties tied to that one. And the same thing with, uh, with the immersive element, right? When I create a, a VR experience based on the movie, that's a separate intellectual property. So all along the way, you're trying to find opportunities with that one intellectual property to create some sort of uh, economic model. And yeah, and you have to, it's it's challenging because we got to be really strategic because it's mm-hmm. it's really hard to make serious money in VR when there's not the 
the mass adoption of, of right. headsets, you know. When um, do you think that mass adoption is coming? Ooh, I find it so fascinating. I don't so know many if people I like, go on the record. For it's that. it's right right around the corner, but yeah. I I feel like well, it. I, I just feel like it's a little bit longer than that than right around the corner. Thoughts. Well, my thought is that um, <coughs> I have a bit of a different perspective on it. Is because I think that the direction that the market is going into that it's all linked together and so you think of the difference between a good diamond and a bad diamond right so what we're trying to do is create good diamonds so the more we have to engage the audience in experiencing the content mm -hmm. that diamond is more valuable right mm -hmm. so almost kind of like chicken and the egg you know it's like if there's not a lot of content and maybe people won't be interested but at the same right. time if vice versa isn't true then they won't have anything to watch. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. And you look at the Disney model, right? Disney mm -hmm. will make a movie and then they'll have toys and then they'll have games and then they'll have the ride, right? It's that in the I, merchandising. It's right? in the merchandising. Right. So that intellectual Space property Walker. has more value yeah. because it has more avenues to access it. Right. And so, you know, th I, that's how I look at, uh, you know, sort of an economic model, especially in a digital environment. It's because, right. you know, um, you know the narrative that movies are, are are a bit of a dying breed. I think is a false narrative because I just think that we have to be smarter about how we use the tools available to create the content mm -hmm. and engage the audience in an experience. I want to. I want y'all's idea on y'all. See my text is coming out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I try not to, but sometimes it just comes out. What is your um, idea of, on my side of things, my, my audience is very, uh, probably more on the side of independent content creator, right? Uh -huh. But there's a lot of people who, um, they're just living their creative life and they want to get involved on your side of the, the stuff, but also they want to do their own thing. And I think it's very interesting how I'm seeing YouTubers build teams and becoming their own um, their own production houses, you know, yeah. going from making videos on their bed in their bedroom to um, really these powerhouses. But I think a lot of what the community lacks and why I think we see a lot of people rise and then just disappear mm -hmm. is there's a lack of structure. And that's something that over in L.A. you guys do very well, right? I mean, you're very used to working with other people, mm -hmm. to having... Uh, everything from finance to creative to post-production just all unlock and so do you have any ideas on how independent creators can really like utilize this model of like the IP and really thinking about their things maybe it's being more structured around the branding of like their their content bringing breaking it up into series more maybe and um, being more intentional with pitching it beyond their own channels or it's, it's kind of like, you know, again, there's room to grow yeah. in what I'm doing and what independent creators are doing. So I guess the question is, how do you see basically taking what you guys are doing and how we can apply that to what we're doing? Yeah, and I want to make sure I understand the question. I know that was everywhere. <laughs> Only because um, I'm a really strong process guy, right? And, um, well, let me stop you there. Okay. That's what all of us lack. Okay. And that's, that's what I'm trying to ask is yeah. like, how, okay. you know, 
okay. process. What is process? How do we apply that? How do we hire people? How do we get structure on creative? And there are models that exist, right? The, the thing that I want to sort of touch on is the two different models. One is for our industry, right? It's follow the money. For some industries, the counter to that is it's follow the audience. If you're following the audience, then you, you find out what the audience is looking for. You create content to get to them. The, ex, the economic model typically trails that. For us, it's who's buying content and what are they buying and whose content are they buying and how did they sell it to them. So our process follows how do we get to the money because that's the way we get to do what we want to do. Some models are how do we find the audience because you find the audience, you build the audience, and then the money follows you. Hmm. So it's determining what your model is and the process to get there. That's what I would offer. That's good. Because <laughs> I think I think a lot of people get to a point, and I, I'm asking this just because it's you know the point that I'm at where – it's like, okay, I'm done being hunched over editing videos for 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Like there's bigger fish to fry mm -hmm. at this point when you found attention mm -hmm. and you want to scale. But as a creative, mm -hmm. it's almost like my brain doesn't work in that way mm -hmm. to like, oh, wait, I have to write out what someone has to do. Why can't they just be another me, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and then you right. get disappointed a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think there's, mm -hmm. I think we need to put more emphasis on process in the mm -hmm. creative community. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what will really help us mm -hmm. you know? and I, I would offer that in that instance that y what you're working to do is merge the models mm -hmm. whereas you've built an audience and now you want an economic version of that and so it's finding out how to use that asset and what um, what what entities are paying for it, hmm. right? What yeah. entities are financing it and putting resources behind the audience now that you have it? Um, um, I, you know, I, I just want to offer that you know, one really good example of that is uh, is Netflix, right? Netflix has built an audience, right? Now they need content. Mm -hmm. So if you notice how they're spending a lot on content because they built the audience first, yeah. whereas the studios have libraries of content because they built the content and now they have to find the audience. So it's it's finding it's finding um, where your assets are and who's interested in them and what strategic partner can you find. Mm -hmm. Once you identify that, you look at models, similar models to say, how did they get there? And then that's your process. So good. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Um, last couple questions. I kind of want to talk um, a little bit about specific projects that you guys have going on at Juvie. Um, and so let's just start with you, Josh. Um, what is a exciting, you know, VR or, or maybe the project you were talking about earlier? You can kind of like put a book into it on like how it went or is it ongoing? It's, it's or? still in post. Okay. I can't say much more than that all right unfortunately all right um but yeah we've got a lot of really exciting stuff we've got um augmented reality <laughs> storybooks um we have a lot of virtual reality games things that would be like um, narrative driven experiences for like vr arcades 
um, <laughs> but also at-home stuff. And then we have traditional video games um, that are like console, PC, um, and then iOS that are in development. We have branching narrative experiences, kind of like the Bandersnatch on Netflix, where you kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure thing. Um, yeah. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Uh, we launched um, the Spheres Songs of Infinity um, with the Spheres team. Um, and that was with Cloudscope and Atlas V at the uh, Seattle Mopop Holodome, which we're really excited about. Mm. Um, and yeah. That's so that's. Cool. And something that I, I like that you touched on on the panel we did. And, you know, I, one of the great things that you guys do is you bring diverse stories to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And something that I found really interesting that I never thought of was when you're making video games and the tools that you are given, like a lot of times, you know, it's like, oh, it only knows how to like reflect life off of like a white person's skin or something. Um, and how diversity is so important throughout like every layer of I did. I my mind wouldn't even have gone to video games like that. Yeah. Um, and so can you actually, <laughs> I'm like, can you say exactly what you said at the panel? <laughs> well, I can't remember, but, it, yeah. but it was so interesting. Like, I guess what are some of the challenges that you faced in the VR or video game, uh, specific industry with that? Because, you know, I think it's so important that you're telling a wide variety of stories yeah. and even with video games it's i mean i think recently um overwatch just introduced a haitian character and one of my friends who was haitian was like so stoked he was like tweeting he's like guys it's me this is so cool um and so it matters right it really does and so but what are some of those challenges that you face with the, the technicalities of that yeah yeah well yeah i mean inclusivity is our reality just as a company it's mm-hmm. it's not um we're we're looking to to make inclusive and diverse content but it's it it's it's very organic in the way that it happens it's just the stories that really excite and and move us mm-hmm. um, but it's also just good business we're looking at an underserved market especially in the immersive and interactive space you're looking at um yeah there's you have more of a budget for for artists and for developers and for creators on the AAA game level, the really big budget studio level character design and development, but not so much on the indie level. It's really hard. If someone wants to create an inclusive um, or a diverse game with, um, with with diverse or inclusive characters, it's it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. If you're just going and buying characters that are fully rigged on the asset store, it's, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that are some of the like we were talking about on that panels, even even the way that shaders are are put on characters to react to light, um, there's a there's a longstanding history of of assets that are, are that shader was not designed um, you know based off of mm-hmm. the skin of uh, of of someone with more melanin, it, right. and it's it's a challenge. Which it's is hard. so shot sighted. Though, I know, right? yeah. yeah. And it's hard to find like clothes for the female characters for some reason yep. too. It yeah. seems yeah. like totally. you know. Yeah, and I. You know, I look forward to the time where diversity inclusion is not a thing. Right. Where we're just identifying opportunities and looking at markets that are underserved and serving them. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, I heard someone uh, at breakfast the other day, they mentioned um, marginalized communities. Right. And I'm like, marginalized there's billions of dollars being spent over there. If you don't recognize that mm. as an opportunity, then you're a bad business person. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, you know, the world, like Josh was saying, it's it's an organic process. Mm-hmm. The world has 
all of us in it. And so we should all have content that we can relate to. Right. And that's kind of the key. And and not everyone's going to relate to every content, but mm-hmm. that's not the objective. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the objective is to find an audience that relates, right? right? And the one thing we know for sure is that we all love, hopefully. <laughs> we all laugh, mm-hmm. hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you find mm-hmm. those things that we have in common, and that's what the content should reflect, but it also should be re- reflective of the world around us. Yeah, I love that. I always say I look forward to the time when I'm not just asked to be on panels that are women in tech panels, but when I'm just a woman on a tech panel, right. you know, yeah. and it's yeah. like, yeah. that's when I yeah. look at because I yeah. know with with these things, you have to be intentional, yeah. right? There, there are reasons why there's certain initiatives, why there are specific companies catered to things because, you know, there is still work to be done. But at the same time, it is good business to it's good business to yeah. I mean, I mean, especially when you're talking about appealing to women, it's like, guys, we're 50% of the population, right. you know? So it's good business. It's yeah. good business. <laughs> yeah. Good business. yeah, It's the fastest growing market in video games. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm baffled by that. And I think, you know, you mentioned how your experience kind of uh, determines, you know, how you got where you mm-hmm. are today. And I, I had a really interesting job when I um, was uh, doing some work for Disney in that the job was a, uh, I was a production consultant to the immigration department. Wow. Right? What did that entail? Well, it entailed uh, monitoring all of the hires for production to determine if everyone was doc- properly documented. Oh. And so I had to go through maybe a thousand documents a day. What I certainly realized is that I didn't care what the people looked like. I didn't care what they wore, where, what was their address. Mm-hmm. I just cared if they were American. Right. Right. Because that's all that mattered, right? And we had to do this government training periodically, and it was like, this is all we care about. Mm-hmm. If, there, if this is not marked, then we have to stop everything mm-hmm. and figure out why. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so... The government doesn't care. Mm-hmm. The studio doesn't care. So it's a, it's a total social construct, mm-hmm. right? Because when you walk on the set, you see all kinds of people, but no one's really looking at the fact that from all, diff- all kinds of people from all different mm-hmm. backgrounds. But no one stopped to think all the company cares about and all the government thinks about is what did you mark on that form? Right. Yeah. Right. And suddenly it wipes away all that sort of social construct. So if we could just take a deep breath and say, okay, let's connect on a different level and see each other and realize that the differences are actually our assets. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we'd all be born the same. Yeah. Right. And that wouldn't be fun. It would would defeat the purpose. Yeah. So every individual is born as an individual. Because that's mm-hmm. our assets. Yeah. And that's, you know, why your story is unique. That's why where you come from, where you're raised. I mean, that is your asset because that's your story. And no life is the same. And, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's not a liability. It's an asset. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, one of the things that drives us is, is finding those assets and sharing them with audiences so that we can Love that. advance the conversation. Oh, yeah. Love that so much. It's it's just better. I yeah. Mean, when yeah, you, yeah, yeah. When we're going through conversations about a story, 
I love that this company is made up with people with such diverse backgrounds because mm-hmm. you hear we get to filling gaps that would otherwise not be addressed right. if you don't have these different perspectives at the table. Mm-hmm. And I love the story of your Haitian friend seeing, yeah. you know, being able to identify. Yeah. He's actually a massive YouTuber, like uh-huh. a tech YouTuber. Um, and he just had this whole Twitter thread today. And it was so cool for everyone to be like, yeah, it's, I, <laughs> it I, cool. yeah. it's yeah. I remember seeing your average consumer guys I'm talking about <laughs> Judner, if you're curious. <laughs> Yeah, I remember seeing the Prince of Egypt as a mm-hmm. like as a kid with my family, and you're in to have everyone celebrating like you know yeah. your culture to to be able to identify with a story. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's you can't really describe that to to be able to have that feeling of like you know yeah being seen yeah um, and it's powerful. And mm-hmm. I still I like I'm. Yeah, I'm obsessed with that soundtrack. I'm like such a hardcore fan, and I'm convinced if we <laughs> Everyone continue. Everyone loves that okay, movie. Good. It's not unique to you. That's a right. great, it's a great movie. That's like, but that's yeah. good storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's good storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and that can connect with anyone. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think there's, there's so many. there's so many benefits to cultural specificity in the stories, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting to, um, to be able to, to get up every morning and to work on telling these stories that, yeah. that inspire us. Love that. Heck yeah, guys. Well, Rob, Josh, thank you so much for being on. Um, thank and you for having me. Yeah, yes, I'll put so some of your projects, links in the show notes below, guys. If you are curious, um, make sure to come back every single Monday for a new episode of That Creative Life. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and until next time, guys, keep creating. Stay peachy. Thank you, guys, Yay, for being on. Yay, creative life. Woo! <laughs>